When's the last time that you have taken a deep breath? Maybe it's been a while. So let's take some deep breaths together. If you've tuned in to any of our Come to the Table videos, you'll have practiced this already. Or maybe you have your own uh, meditation or exercise practice where you focus on your breathing. I'm going to invite you to stand up tall or sit up tall. You can close your eyes if you like. Let your belly be soft. And then take a deep breath in through your nose for the count of four. And then let it out through your mouth. Let's do it again. Breathe in through your nose. And out through your mouth. Feel your shoulders lowering just a little bit. Maybe a big sigh when you let this next breath out. (sighs) Once more, really filling up all the way to the bottom of your belly. Now, notice how you feel. Maybe you feel silly because you just sat and took some big deep breaths alone in your living room. But maybe you feel a little bit more refreshed or a little bit more relaxed or something else. There's a word in scripture, both in Hebrew and in Greek, for breath. The Hebrew word is ruach. And the Greek word is pneuma. And both of these also describe the Holy Spirit, connected to breath and the sound of our breathing. Today we celebrate Pentecost, and we're used to the dramatic story of wind and fire that rushes through that gathering of many nations, where languages are spoken and understood all at the same time. But there's another story today, a quieter story, one about Jesus' breath that might be able to speak to us in this time and in this place for this celebration of Pentecost. In contrast to the excitement and verbosity of Luke's Pentecost in the book of Acts, John's is quiet and intimate and personal. Much like the nature of the Holy Spirit itself in the Gospel of John. The actual giving of the Holy Spirit matches the character of its role and work, according to John's Gospel. A few weeks ago, I preached about that work of the Holy Spirit, and this is a few chapters later. It was still the first day of the week. That evening, while the disciples were behind closed doors, because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. When the disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with joy. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. 
As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they aren't forgiven. So a few chapters before this and a few weeks ago, we heard about the promise of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the comforter, the advocate, companion, counselor, and helper. That one who is going to come after Jesus to teach, remind, and continue to testify about Jesus. The one who abides with us. And today on Pentecost, we witness the fulfillment of this promise. Now, this scene is very different from what we hear about in Luke. The giving and the receiving of the Holy Spirit happen on that same day of resurrection, Easter Sunday. The disciples have secured themselves away from the authorities because they are worried that what has happened to Jesus will also happen to them. But it is not the authorities that they are surprised by on this day. It's Jesus who comes in and enters with an offering of peace. Reverend Dr. Caroline Lewis writes that this invitation to peace here in the midst of the troubled emotions of the disciples following Jesus' death mirrors that same gift of peace that he gave in his farewell speech. It reminds us that the Holy Spirit is not just described as the comforter, but the Holy Spirit is present to give comfort, even in this moment of peace be with you, during that most intense period of distress in the disciples' lives. Now, another professor, Joy J. Moore, reminds us that good news does not erase distress and fear. Good news, incredible news like this, can ignite hope. But hope does not eliminate genuine fear. The disciples were scared. They were in a familiar place, but they were desperate with unfamiliar fear. They didn't know what was going to happen next. They weren't sure how long they would have to stay in that place. They didn't know when they could gather again with other believers. They didn't know when they could go out into the world and continue the work that Jesus had taught them. And so this mirrors our own time of intense emotion and distress. Even and especially now that we have had to change our habits and our lifestyles seemingly overnight as we react and adjust to COVID-19 and the long reality that lies before us. The stress of being alone, wearing masks, keeping appropriate distance, and weighing the risks and benefits of what have been our usual daily activities, all of it begins to pile up and make us feel insecure. Learning how to work and learn in new ways is difficult and frustrating, and not knowing when this will end or what the new normal will look like is frustrating. And so while we are living in a familiar place, we are also living with an unfamiliar fear 
an unfamiliar worry, distress, and question. And so we remember that first peace is given. And then in the midst of their distress and confusion, Jesus gives the disciples the ability to step outside of their locked doors by giving them the Holy Spirit. It recalls that moment when God breathed life into the original earth person in Genesis 2. Jesus doesn't just breathe on to the disciples. Jesus breathes the spirit of life into his followers. A new creation is happening here. It is a moment of recreation, we could say. A moment of new birth, of that promised abundant life. A moment where these disciples become children of God. In the Holy Spirit, Jesus' followers receive nothing less than the fullness of the glorified Son. And so do we. Their lives and ours can therefore accomplish ends similar to Jesus' life, insofar as they reveal God. Just as the disciples were recreated and given new birth on this day of Pentecost, just as the church was created in a new way and continues to be recreated in new ways. We remember at every baptism that we celebrate that we are marked with the cross of Christ and sealed with the Holy Spirit, that that moment of public acknowledgement of belonging to the family of God is also when that new life begins for each of us. And the Spirit is with us from that moment all the way through. So what does this mean to have the Holy Spirit? Do we get to run out and do all the things we wish we could be doing? Well, that's not quite it. In fact, this piece about revealing God is the key to what it means to live in the Holy Spirit. That speech that Jesus gave his followers before his trial and crucifixion and death, that becomes uh, more sharply focused now. Jesus had said, my followers will do greater works than you have seen. But how? Well, because they will be possessed and empowered by the very Spirit of God, which has now been breathed into them. How will believers keep the commandments of Jesus? How will they bear much fruit? How will I lay down my life for my friends? How will we continue to testify to the word made flesh? These are all activities of discipleship, and they are thinkable and doable only with the breath of God, the Holy Spirit. This is what sends the disciples forth with just enough courage to get started. To begin to bestow new life and healing on others in the way that Jesus describes next. And it's, it's a confusing verse. Jesus says, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they are not forgiven. We can easily turn that into 
who's in and who's out, who is following our list of rules and who is not, what behaviors are acceptable and which ones are not. But Jesus is not appointing the church or anyone else as his moral watchdog. Nor does he commission it to arbitrate people's assets and liabilities on that heavenly balance sheet. Professor Matt Skinner says that in John's Gospel, Jesus talks about sin as unbelief, an unwillingness or incapacity to grasp the truth of God manifested in Jesus. To have sin abide, therefore, is to remain estranged from God, far away. And the consequence of that condition is an ongoing resistance. For John, it's not about the moral failings. It's not about particular behaviors. It is an inability or a refusal to recognize where God shows up in Jesus. And so Jesus tells his followers, including you and me today, that through the Spirit that enables them to bear witness to who Jesus is, the one who loves, the one who cares for the neighbor, the one who sees the dignity and humanity of all people, when they bear witness to those things, they can set people free. They can set people free from that state of affairs. They can be part of seeing others come to believe in Jesus and what Jesus gives. It's a little bit of mental gymnastics, but stick with me. It's this failure to bear witness that John sees as sin. It will result in a world full of people left unable to grasp the knowledge of God, and this is what it means to retain sin, to willfully keep this good news to ourselves is the problem. Jesus is not granting the church or anyone else a unique spiritual authority. He is simply reporting that a church that does not bear witness to Christ is a church that leaves itself unable to play a role in delivering people from all that keeps them from experiencing the fullness of life that Jesus offers. And so how do we do this when we can't gather together in the sanctuary, when our building isn't open to our usual activities in the life of a congregation? Well, here's the thing. This peace, this work that we're called to do as the church, does not depend on this building. It does not depend on having the doors open and the seats filled. It depends on you and me sharing this good news each and every day in our lives. So how do we do this, right? We have physical distancing, there's restrictions on gatherings, there's social isolation. Breathing is not a great idea. You know, getting close enough to breathe on somebody um, 
Jesus would have been in defiance of much of what we're uh, practicing right now. Well, we tell our story. We make note of where we see God acting in the world and we share it with other people. We make note of who our counselors, advocates, encouragers, and comforters are, and we talk to them. We share with them what's happening in our lives. We thank them for what they do, and we give encouragement as well. We do our best to love our neighbor in tangible ways, like wearing those masks and keeping those distances and not breathing on one another so closely. We pray for one another. These are simple but profound things that we can do. And as we practice these simple and tangible acts of loving our neighbor, we begin to see one another in a different light. We begin to view each other with the lens of Jesus' love, the one that sees dignity and humanity in all people. And as we practice this, as we tell our story, as we listen to the stories of others, perhaps then we also find the courage to join our voices for those who cry out when they can't breathe, whether by physical or spiritual oppression. We connect in new ways with ourselves and the work that God is calling us to in the world, and we learn new things for the sake of of others, for the ones that Jesus loves with the same love he has for you and I. And when we get tired or scared, worn out, lonely, sad, or overwhelmed, all we have to do is take another deep breath and remember that the Holy Spirit is as close as our breathing ready to restore and recreate us in the power and love of Christ. (sighs) Thanks be to God. Amen.